Oh, SPC. The potential you have is profound. And this is the time. This is the hour. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter what walk of life, hear me. Our world is dying for life. Some of you may look at our culture and our economy and even the state of affairs across not only our nation but our world and say, man, we're going to hell in a handbasket. Here's what I want you to know. When the world is at the end of themselves, they are strategically positioned for God to do something radical in their lives. And when the world is at its wit's end, the church is in their finest hour. Because we possess the goods. We have the answer. And it's found in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the most profound realities is this, is that Scripture is littered with this vision casting for what could be. What could be. And as I've even shared and talked with Jamie over the last couple of weeks, man, his heart, a couple of things you need to know. He's got a heart that's just big as a bucket for God and for you all. He digs you, to put it in real practical terms. He loves you. And he's got a passion to see something lit inside of the DNA of this church and even reignited in a way that would be contagious to all this surrounding area and even the broader scope of the world. What in the world does it take to move from a great big vision of what God and his goodness wants to do in us and move us there? How do we get from having anticipation for all that God wants to do, knowing that God is glorified, translated practical terms, God is genuinely pumped up when his children produce fruit. Jesus said, it is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. So if God's excited about that, how do we get from the vision of what in the world God can do to watch us be a contagious group of people that are impacting this world around us in practical ways? How do we get there? And the one thing that I've learned is this. In between this great vision that God casts for us and realizing that or the mission that we're on is this tenuous little gap where real decisions are made. Man, I want to tell you that the woman that's sitting next to you, if she's a God seeker, she wants a spiritual stud muffin as a man. That's what she wants. And the way that that is realized, gentlemen, is the decisions that are made in this gap between this vision that God gives us and realizing this dream or this mission. And it can be done, but only by His power. Although today we're going to be leaning in toward this idea that we can be this contagious force that's altering the world around us. I want to tell you, counterintuitively, reaching the world in evangelism and being on mission has almost nothing to do with some kind of resources or some new bit of knowledge or information. It has to do with what happens in the quiet recesses of our heart between us and God. And when the tipping point happens here, that that 51% factor across this, this sea of people begins to crest and swell, man, it's a wave that can't be stopped. And so, God, here we are. And you know that I want to listen to your spirit here as we just dig in. 
And I'm asking you to take any hearts here that maybe are skeptical or cynical of you and maybe what you can do, maybe some have waved a white flag and just believe they're going to duke it out until eternity. Maybe some have an illusion of transformation with you. Whatever it is, God, I want to ask that you would do something supernatural here today. And Lord, I want to linger here for a second with you and tell you, be here in power, in power. And I thank you ahead of time for it in Jesus' name. Amen. My bride and I moved to South Africa in 1990. It was a crazy time in that country. We went down there and we wanted to really live in and with the people. And we were warned, don't do this. Apartheid was just starting to be crushed and... The area that we ultimately moved into, we would see a lot of military vehicles and a lot of guys literally with mounted submachine guns on top of their military vehicles patrolling those streets. Fights between different tribes of the Zulus were common. Necklacing where they put tires around the opposition and put fuel in those tires. Set people ablaze. It was common. But we moved into an area believing that God would have us go there. There were no white guys within 10 kilometers of where we lived, <laughs> none. And we lived among three different primary groups, a group called the Coloreds. They were Afrikaans and Zulu mix. They were considered the dogs of that culture, the true outcasts. There were Indians in that township that would come from more prior generations, about three, four generations prior, had come from India to South Africa to serve the Afrikaans people. And their legacy was there, including chicken curry and biryani, and we didn't eat with utensils for a full year. It was awesome. <laughs> and then there was the Zulus out our back door, a whole township in Kwadengezi. And there we were in the middle, kind of the intersection of all three, in our little home that had a little bit of a security system, but nothing to keep anyone at bay. But we had the power of the Lord, and we really felt His protection most strategic thing that ever happened in missions for me was I got asked by the principal to come and coach a track and field team for those three different area groups that we lived in. And I thought, God, you've done this. This is awesome. I had been a sprinter in high school. I hadn't done a lot of coaching, but I said, Lord, just help me. Ninety-two athletes showed up that first day, and they broke into three distinct groups, and there were the coloreds, and there were the Indians, and there were the Zulus. And I'd seen these kids training out on the pavement of those streets, of those Zulu townships. I had seen Indians and Zulus and the coloreds alike running, most of them in bare feet and like deer, just skipping along. And I thought, oh God, what you could do with this team if we could get them organized. Never had they competed together. Never had they competed together. But that was their region. And so we began to meet with them and cast a vision of what in the world could happen if they competed against some of South Africa's best. But here's what I want you to know. Between the vision that we cast for what in the world this team could be and that realized dream were some big decisions that those athletes had to make. And spiritually speaking, we have some decisions that we have to make today. Because between the vision of what in the world we could be as a force of God's children that are not just doing church but are being the church, there are some big decisions that have to be made in that gap.
And if we make them, boom, God will blow hope into your soul. I love the vision of Ephesians. I love it because Paul goes on to recite multiple things that he says you can cheer for and that you can identify with. You've been purchased, you've been predestined, you've inherited the Spirit. Just check out some of the things that we find here. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be hanging out just in Ephesians here. Look at verse 8, uh, 16 of chapter 1. These won't be on the screen. I'll just read them to you. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, and what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, verse 20, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand. In heavenly places. Chapter 2 begins, and you are dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, remember last time I was here, if you were here, sins? It just is an archery term. The sin is really the distance between the bullseye and where your arrow hits in life. And that's the sin. And the fact is, we were born missing the mark. And no matter how much we tried to hit the mark, apart from the power of Jesus Christ, we just can't hit it. So we're born shooting arrows and missing it and missing it and missing it. But, verse 4 of chapter 2, God being rich in his mercy because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then skip all the way through chapter 3, verse 20. Check this out. Paul says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Let it be. I'm convinced of this. Paul, for three chapters in Ephesians, he's just cast in a vision. This is who you are in Christ. This is how you've been adopted. This is what God's designed. The power in you is likened to the raising of Christ from the dead. And he gets so fired up about what in the world he's penning that he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than can ask or think, to him be glory. And can things happen? Oh, yeah, because there's that vision. And then the mission is cast for us because he says, and you husbands and wives can actually walk down an aisle with anticipation in your heart and after 23 years navigating for me and my bride, navigating trials and challenges and heartache and conflict and me hurting my wife in our first few years, but God restoring that, those words that I said to her that I didn't mean to crush her, but I hurt her. 
But then watching Christ at the center of our marriage and the reality that we're made new in him and watch him heal us and us weep together and sometimes being awake at two in the morning and just hugging each other like kids all over again. And he can take glorified roommates that call themselves Christ followers and restore intimacy again. He can't. Paul casts a vision for parents to children. And he says, parents, you can be parents that are so countercultural to the parents that are out there just hammering their kids. And, and kids, you can honor your mom and dad in uncommon ways. And it doesn't matter how old we are or how many years locusts have kind of gobbled up wasted opportunities. The tomb is empty and Jesus can still do miracles today and if you're in a position of authority or you're under a, a, a person who has authority over you God says in Ephesians 6 that you can show that no matter what position of authority you find yourself in if you are humble before me and you are under the authority of God I'm going to make you a radiant person in the marketplace radiant and that's not all he goes on to say put on the full armor of God and it's not because we're just sitting back doing church it's because we are on the move with God and we're armored up by the way quiet soft-spoken even older ladies can be fully armored up in God and we're moving forward in him. And I love what Paul says. He says all these things that we got to put on. I can't take you there right now. But one of them that he says is put your, your feet are fitted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Meaning we're walking forward with the hope that is found in Christ. And ready to share this message with the world. Wow. And so when the fire goes out or it seems so far away, how in the world are we going to do this? And you know what we resort to oftentimes? Doing it in our own power. Do you know that I've done that? You know that the greatest battle that we're going to face is whether or not we're going to surrender yet again to Christ and watch Him do that work. And the Scripture is going to show it today. Life in the gap is about this, and we're going to see it vividly. The Apostle Paul is going to propose today that we can't walk like we used to walk. We need to strip down and take off the junk and residual from the past, and even the stuff that's reclaimed, maybe territory in our heart and mind, and then suit up in this brand new way of living. In Ephesians 4, verse 17, Paul says this, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now stop right there. Here's what is, here is what in, is clearly inferred in the text. It's this. Transformed Christ followers can become derailed disciples. It's possible. When we understand that, then the rest makes sense. 
No longer walk as they do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. There's five things that need to go. We need to be stripped down and take off and standing vulnerable before God. And this, as we listen to the Lord, we can connect with Him and say, God, search me, know me. If that's in me, I want to peel it away. Five things. I'm just going to hit them quickly. Because the tendency is to think, I better do them. So I'm not going to land here long. Because we're going to find the secret to shedding these things. The first is this. Blindness. Blindness, if you want to write notes beside it, just put down walking in our own wisdom. Walking in our own wisdom. The second is isolation. It's possible to be spiritually isolated even though you were at once transformed. It means distance from the vitality of God's Spirit. Distance from His Spirit. Ignorance is a third one that needs to be stripped down and torn away. Ignorance is the absence of God's leadership. It doesn't mean that you're stupid. It means that you're not informed and in step with God. You're going out on your own. You're trying to figure out life on your own. And some of us here are trying to figure out how to walk as a Christ follower in our own wisdom. Hardness is a fourth thing that needs to go away. Hardness. What is hardness? It's resistance to truth that requires change. You know what a trap of Satan is? He wants us to be buttoned down and even have a decent doctrinal statement or understand the core essentials of the faith. But God loves us so much that he says, I'm going to show you this truth, and with this truth, I'm going to ask you to change. And it's true that Christ followers can be hard toward him in certain areas of our life where we say, I'm going to own all this, but these areas, I'm not going to change in that way. That's got to go. The fifth thing that needs to be stripped down that we need to leave behind is indulgence. And that's just really slavery to God's substitutes. Just slavery to God's substitutes. And here's the kicker. How in the world are we going to have the power to get this stuff thrown off of us? How are we going to see God really do a change in our life? And I know that there's some of you in this room that, frankly, you're probably pretty weary and sick and tired of trying to do this in your own power. And I want to tell you today, at the epicenter of a mission is this. It is proximity to God. It is proximity to God. I need to develop this for a second because one of the enemies of American evangelicalism is self-will. And I did this last January and some of you may think I'm a little bit crazy, but I need you to hear me on this one. I have learned now, I'm 50 years old, and I've learned something. One of the greatest errors that I've made and that I've witnessed people make around me is thinking 
that although this is where we find God because Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We errantly think that we need to get up from that position and then go forward in our own power because God, God did so much for me. Don't you know I owe it to Him? And I'm telling you, apart from Him we can do nothing. Here is where great men and women are born. They're born right here. But the greatest men and women who literally experience all that God has for them as they move forward in their relationship with Christ literally walk with God like this. Just like this. Utterly dependent. Posture is so important before God that now, honestly, and I'm doing this more, the older I get, and the more I know, the more I know that the best posture for me is on my knees. And when I'm hitting something tough, God breaks me and says, right here, and multiple mornings a week, I'll go down to my office and maybe I'll be just up against something with the Lord and I'll get right down on my knees on the hardwood. And it's a great reminder for me that, Carl, this is where you were born and this is how you're going to live. Paul spikes this issue of proximity to God in a beautiful way. In verse 20 through 24, look at what he says. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And here's the question. How did we learn of Christ? And how do we walk in true righteousness and holiness? How did we do that? I'm a big one on this. Scripture interprets Scripture. And we can't understand exactly what's being said there in Ephesians 4 unless we go back to the birthplace of how we knew Christ. And don't let the familiarity of this get you. And it's not going to be on the screen. I'm going to read it. But go to your Bibles, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And this is what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. And this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. We did nothing. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in him. How do we walk in him? We walk in him the same way that we are born again in him. By utter dependence and reliance on God. Let me illustrate it this way. When we try to go in our own power through our relationship with God, we are met with constant resistance every time we go in our own power. And I'm not saying that walking with God is going to be absence of conflict, but I'm saying this. 
Many of us in this room are moving headlong in our relationship with Jesus, wondering why we're spinning out. We've got these reoccurring sins or habits that we can't seem to get over. We can't seem to kind of shake bitterness in our life. And we're wondering, God, how can I get out of this mess? How do I move? Some of you in this room... You've made a sport out of gossiping about people. And maybe you've thought to yourself, i got to quit gossiping about people. And here's what I want to tell you. You can't stop. You can't. And that's the good news. Because when you realize that you don't have the power to overcome the garbage in your life that needs to be shed away, the addictions that you have, the secret stuff that you've maybe never told anyone, the bitterness that possibly you're harboring, the insecurity that you feel and you wonder, will there be anyone that can love me? I'm telling you, there is hope. But it's found in close proximity to God and Him alone. When I was coming back from Fairbanks, Alaska in the dead of winter, I was in my Chevy Silverado short bed, maroon with a Santa Fe tan center, baby moons with BF Goodrich radial low profile tires, Alpine stereo system, crush velour interior. Don't laugh, crush velour was really hip in the way long ago. <laughs> pull into a truck stop and I was kind of a wild guy I know and I look at this trucker and I said hey bro I want to try something I'd heard some friends tell me about this and I said hey could I draft behind you on the way back into Anchorage a couple 300 miles he said all right but be careful by the way what I'm about to tell you don't don't do this Please, it'd be a bummer like, you know, 10 committed Christ followers from FB, SBC die this week trying to apply a message. That would be bad. <laughs> and I get in behind him. We get out onto the highway, and I pull my truck right in behind him, and he's picking up speed, picking up speed, and he had told me if we get near any danger, I'm just going to kind of tap the brake lights a little bit. And so he's trucking down the road, you guys. And I experienced drafting for the first time in my life. And I tucked my pickup about five to ten feet just off his tailgate. And if I got more than ten feet behind him, the wind coming off of that thing would throw me back. But if I kept about ten feet and tighter, right in that range, anything ten feet and just kissing his bumper of that big semi truck. And it was like this huge sucking power was just dragging me down the road and I didn't even have to hit my accelerator much at all and I'm laughing I'm just tapping the brakes sometimes thinking this is unbelievable you can't do that with a semi but you must do that with God you must we need to say, God, you're huge, you're big. And he says, listen to me, 
tuck in behind me. I'm going to take you places you won't burn the fuel you've been trying to burn while you're living on your own. He says, are you weary of all the stuff you're trying to get over on your own? All that stuff that you can't even tell anyone. And he says, you tuck in behind me. The challenges you have, whatever, and when danger's ahead, I'll tap my brakes. You'll see. I won't let you collide with anything. Proximity to God is everything. It is everything. I, I need you to hear me. This is very critical. I've had people come to me and tell me, I'm done. I can't do it. And I need you to hear me. Those are the sweetest words that are spoken. Because when we come to the end of ourselves, we are positioned to draft behind and in the power of God, and He'll take us places we never could have gone without Him. So we got to suit up. We get in behind him. And then he starts putting things on us that are characteristic of people that are going to this great mission. There's five things. Let's look at them quickly. In Ephesians 4.25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. In other words, we need a culture of honesty. A culture of honesty does not mean that you hang out your dirty laundry with just anyone. No, no, no. A culture of honesty says, I'm going to find some people that are drafting with God, and I'm going to tell them what in the world's going on. Let me tell you uh, what's really uh, characteristic of many of us in a our modern evangelicalism. I'll illustrate it this way. When I was in Alaska, there was this little product that high school guys used a lot when I was in high school at Wasilla High School. It's called Bondo. And Bondo was used any time we would wreck our vehicles. If you're an auto person, you know this. Bondo's dynamite stuff for high school guys on a low budget. You run a car into a light pole on an icy road, Bondo's there to save you. <laughs> Bondo is this. It's a cheap man's way out. You kind of pull the dent out a little bit, but because you don't have the time or the money to maybe do it right, you just lather in a bunch of that Bondo, and you smooth it out. And it's unbelievable, because then you paint it, and you can barely see that you are in a wreck. And some of us in this room have become... Bondo Christians. And for fear of speaking honestly about where we're hurting or where we're struggling, we think that the best thing that we can possibly do is just lather in a coat of spiritual pretense. But here's the problem. Sometimes, like my friends in Alaska, when you hit a spiritual pothole and a trial that's just too much, the Bondo breaks loose and there's the dent in all its glory. And God says, no, 
You speak the truth. You get in behind me. You draft behind me. And then you tell a friend, hey, here's where I'm hurting. No falsehood. Straight up. Help me. Pray with me. In Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, look at what we find. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. There needs to be a passion for resolution, a passion to see things resolved. Why? Because unresolved anger literally stifles us. You know what's said in this text that's very important and powerful and real for us to know? Is that when it says don't give the, the evil one an opportunity, it could almost be translated, don't give him a foothold on your life. Unchecked anger is like giving the evil one an opportunity to say, I think I'm going to drape myself over you. It gives him the privilege of literally haunting you with anger that goes unchecked and then keeps you stifled in your relationship with God. I've been to third world countries and I've seen demonized people, but not only that, I've seen them in the United States. It's real. No freaking anyone out here. But I got a call one night on my birthday when I lived in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I had some men in a small group that said, come to our house, we got a problem. And I walked over there, and I saw we had a problem. These young men, these young Christ followers are pinned up against this wall, and across the room was one of our friends. And he had let unchecked anger from stuff in his life go and go and go. And what he was manifesting like in in that time, in that moment, was very unlike this cool, very neat young man. And I just walked across the room, and I took the scriptures, and he began to do things that actually started to intimidate me a little bit. And I just said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we won't have any of this. And soon he came out of it, and he looked at me, and he said, what's going on? I said, you're going to grow up in Jesus, and you're going to be okay, and today he is. Because we dealt with things that had never been dealt with before. And now he's got a bride and children. And he's walking forward in a strong relationship with Jesus. But hear me. Satan doesn't need to have people manifesting in strange or bizarre ways. He's happy if he can just keep you stuck in bitterness. Or fermented anger. Or burning resentment. Or revenge. And here's what I want to tell you. Don't let that stuff be. You tuck in behind God and you even tell him, God, there's something maybe from 20 years ago. I've never processed it with you. I've done it on my own. I'm ticked off. I can't even handle it anymore. He loves you. I read in the Psalms that David was in caves at times going, God, what's going on here? They're going to kick my rear end. God says, I haven't left you. God can handle it when we're processing pain. And here's the truth. You must process pain while you're drafting with God.
Ephesians 4.28 tells us something else that we need to have. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that we may have something to share with anyone in need. We need a mindset of contribution. We need to be giving our lives away. And I just need to step down here and tell you this. I'm telling you, every one of you in this room are potential contributors. And I'm not just talking financial, but here's what I'm saying. When Jesus Christ transformed you, according to Ephesians, he led kept captives captive and gave gifts to men. He distributed gifts. And every one of you and you and you and you and you, if you've surrendered your life to God, you know what? He has equipped you with things that we all need. And the greatest way to make this auditorium a force, a, a cresting wave, is when we reach a tipping point when 51% of you move from any kind of a sense of just kind of going to church and decide, I'm going to be the church. You say, I'm retired. Howard Hendricks used to tell us this. He said he spent years just going to golf courses, getting guys that are retired off the golf course and back in the game. Look, I'm into golf. I'm horrible, but I'm into golf. But I'm telling you, you are needed. And I want to, in my heart, I just want to tell you a message that I think is from the Lord. He weeps over unleveraged gifts in the body of Christ. You've all got something to give, and if you'll give it away, you're going to become a force to be reckoned with in this incredible valley. I swear to you, it's true. It'll be so contagious, it'll blow your mind, and your children and your grandchildren will be part of not a church, they'll be part of a movement. And God isn't whipping you right now saying, yeah, you better give, you better contribute, you better... No, no. That's Satan that says this. God's saying this. Listen to his voice. He's saying, get him behind me. Let's go for a ride. Ephesians 4, verse 29 through 30. Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. I love that. As it fits the occasion. That it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We need a language of development. what I feel prompted to say in the service. My bride and I, our first few years of marriage were so tough, man. Preacher told us, don't let the words divorce come across your lips. And we didn't for 10 days. <laughs> 10 days. 
And there's things that I said to my bride that when God hit me with them, well, let me tell you what the joy is in my life now after God's done restoration through misplaced words, reckless things, straight up truth. I just, I think I appreciate my bride more than ever before, and we are so stinking different. But I really see that there is some huge benefit and the fruit of a language of development that's born when men who are initiators and women are responders, men are drafting behind God, just saying, God, I don't even know the words to say. And I don't want them to be contrived. And he says to you men, I don't want them to be contrived either. Let me fill you up so much that the words you say are true and from my spirit. Boom. You want intimacy? You'll get intimacy. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And see, you know what happens when you draft? You're drafting behind, and it's not just you, because more children of the king will get in behind. And you'll look left and you'll look right and you'll find people that are so different from you. And God says, walk in reconciliation. No matter what nation, tribe, tongue, or who they are or where they come from, have a heart for reconciliation. (laughs) So I gave the students a vision for what could happen. And we trained and trained and trained, but life in the gap became pretty profound for these student-athletes. It was amazing. I witnessed God do things in them that was really profound. I mean, amazing stuff. But one of the most amazing things is I saw that all this racial and cultural divide started breaking down left and right, just started breaking down, and God started lifting up a brand new standard of the way things were going to be. I guess the most incredible thing that ever happened on that season was one of the biggest track meets that we went to and competed in. It was in Chatsworth, Chatsworth, South Africa. And I went and I didn't know what we would be able to do, but as the meet went on, we cleaned up. We were at the nicest track stadium in the southern hemisphere made by the Germans. Awesome. South Africa is a big track and field country. And as I'm standing there in the infield, at one point, I think our 10,000 meter runners had just run and we'd finished number one and number two. And the trophies are starting to pile up and all of our student athletes that had competed are up there in the stands. I looked up at one point and I didn't see any different race groups. I saw one team, coloreds, Zulus, Indians, and one white guy on the infield with tears coming down his face going, oh my goodness. And they were dancing, 
and they were cheering. And if that isn't a picture of what in the world we could be, Stand with me and let's pray. Father, drafting behind you, yielding to you, moving from vision to mission, watching you restore us, being honest with each other. That's what we want in you, God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? So everyone needs compassion. Love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of the Savior. The hope of nation. Declare, Savior, Savior, He can move the mountain. Sing forever, author of salvation, heroes and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave. We're going to keep worshiping and singing. If you need to go, you're welcome to go. Have a great day and a wonderful week.